This is the Business of Sports from Bloomberg Radio. Welcome to Bloomberg Business of Sports. I'm Jason Kelly, along with Mike Lynch. We're here with you every Monday, Wednesday, and Thursday via podcast, talking to the biggest names in sports. And what a treat today. We are speaking with NFL Hall of Famer, entrepreneur, Terrell Davis, joining us on the phone from California. An early morning. We really appreciate it, TD. First of all, how are you doing? Yeah, you're right. It's early. I'm just trying to <laughs> clear the cobwebs out of my brain and, and get things moving this morning. But I'm doing well, man. I'm Good. doing well. You know, family's doing well. So, yeah. Good. Well, I mean, and I feel like, to be very frank, I mean, this day, you know, here we are, June 8th, 2020. It's a little bit of a loaded question asking anybody how they are because this has been just a tremendous time of upheaval. And I've got to start by asking you, Friday was a pretty unbelievable day, I think, for anybody who's followed the NFL and pro sports in general with Commissioner Goodell essentially reversing what he had long said about what players can and can't do, what they can and can't say. I wonder, just straight off the bat, what was your reaction to that? I was pretty proud, man. I was happy to hear Commissioner Roger Goodell you know, take a stand and support the players who have been protesting, you know, the inequalities, police brutality in this country for a long time. And, you know, to me, it signifies that he's listening. A lot of people are starting to listen now instead of just having a stance against the protesters and people who have been yelling and screaming for years and not being heard. So to see Roger Goodell make this statement, I also saw NASCAR come out and, you know, they're, for their race, acknowledge, you know, the inequalities in this country. So we start to see this shift and people who have not been making statements are finally now saying, okay, we hear what you're saying. We see what you're saying. That means progress is being made. And so it is really good to see that happening. Now the NFL uh, certainly has to follow that up and, and take steps to, uh, and they have been, but take more steps to ensure that they're in the forefront of this movement. All right, TD, I'm going to push you on this a little bit because from my perspective, at least, it took a while. I mean, it, it took a while for the NFL to, to catch up here. Were you frustrated at how long it took? I mean, this was a, a tough stretch in many ways for the NFL. So the one thing I always try to do, and I try to look at both sides, I always try to not, even if I have a serious stand against something, I try to open my mind up to the other person's viewpoint. And the NFL is a business, and I think what happened is it got away from them. They just weren't prepared for it. They didn't understand what they were dealing with. When you have major sponsors threatening to pull out, when you have, you know, a lot of fans saying they won't watch the game and we won't watch the product, and they've turned the tides or at least turned the message in against it being for protesting for a good cause or a good thing, which is really just good and bad and right and wrong, they turned it into an anti-American campaign and the NFL just wasn't ready for that mm. and the messaging got hijacked so it was difficult for them and you have to look at that you know I think we can all say well the NFL should have just jumped up and stood with the players and yeah I feel the same way but I also know that in business just like I am now I'm in business and I've been in business you know people you're going to lose people when you make a stance even if it's against something that's right you know we're not protesting to be more than anybody else. We're just protesting to be equal. And some people find that offensive, which is crazy to me. And so, yeah, the NFL, I was always told it's better late than never, right? It's always better late to 
to change the stats and to acknowledge that there is a problem than to never do that. And so they're doing it now, and, and I'm proud of that. Terrell, one of the, uh, the biggest casualties of the National Football League ignoring this issue, of course, is Colin Kaepernick. Do you see now him getting a job? And A, will he get a job because he deserves to get a job or someone is going to give him a job as a symbolic gesture? That's the tough part because Colin should have never been out of the NFL with the amount of quarterbacks that he's clearly better than and he has been better than for him not to be able to at least be on the team at this point. That's the problem, and that's, that's been the problem. Now you're talking about a quarterback that hasn't played in quite some time. I don't, I'm not sure what kind of shape he's in. I think the last time we saw him, he was throwing the ball at a private workout with the NFL, made that workout for him. So, yeah, I think he should, but I think he also you know, has to be ready when that time comes. But absolutely, I think Colin Kaepernick should be back in the NFL, uh, at least getting a shot, a real shot, a real workout in someone's training camp to compete for at least a backup job at a minimum. And so, Terrell, what is the right role for players amid all of this, current and former, in terms of this platform? What's the best use? And I think this does get into your current role as an entrepreneur and business person. What is the right role for, for athletes to play? Because it feels like we're at a, a really important moment and, and you can track the evolution, you know, going back to Ali and, and beyond of athletes sort of speaking out and, and making their voices heard. I wonder how you think about it as a former player and now, as you say, someone in business. Yeah, I mean, when I saw this go down, you know, I, I watched it for probably two days or so before I felt compelled. I was like, there's no way I can stay on the sideline and watch this happen without being vocal about it. And there was something different about this moment. And I don't know if you felt it or, or not, but we all felt it. I think, I think, I think you're, you're exactly right. I think we all felt it. And I guess that's one of the things I would love to hear from you is why it felt different. I mean, I have my own theories, but I want to hear yours. Yeah. I think probably it was the situation with how George Florida was killed. And I think it's, the symbolic thing was we were always taught growing up and, you know, how to deal with law enforcement. You know, you put your hands on the steering wheel. You don't talk back. You have this checklist of things. And really it was to ensure your safety to walk away from that situation alive. And we've been saying for years that even if we do that, we're still being abused. And so to see this footage come out and as clear as daylight for nine minutes where a man is being murdered on TV by a cop, I think it's like, listen, what else can we do? And so – it just, to me, it just said, I cannot sit here and not say anything because I felt like if I'm not saying anything, then I'm part of the problem. And that's been the problem for far too long. People see something, even if they say it's not right, they don't say anything about it or do anything about it, then we're just all part of the problem. And I don't know, I just had this internal motivation and just said, man, you've got to get out there. You've got to say something. You know, people watch you and they look up to you on the football field. They look up to you in things in life. And this is important. Like, this is really this is the most important thing that you probably are going to be able to do in your lifetime is to get behind this cause and be able to make a change in this country, to have a ship, a ship that we desperately need in this country. And so, amen. And, I, and to your question about what our role should be, our role should be to be involved. 
mm-hmm. and to be engaged in whatever that might be. It might be to be in front of a campaign, being vocal. It might be able, might be going to your community, being part of the push to get people registered, to make sure we have people who are signed up for the census so that their names are being counted, galvanizing people to make sure that they understand that not only do the people who have this attitude toward blacks in this country have to change, we have to change a lot of things that we do as well. So there's a lot of work. There's a lot of roles that can be played in what needs to happen here. And I'm actually excited about it because I'm going to, I challenge myself to go back and really know more about some of the legislation, know more about some of the laws, really get myself caught up on things that I know that I can play a role in. And really in my hometown of San Diego, mm-hmm. Denver, where I spent a lot of town, uh, time, and I live in Los Angeles. So I'm going to focus on those three cities and see how I can put myself in the middle and, uh, and try to be a person of purpose and change. Terrell, <clears throat> over the weekend, uh, there was a number of NFL teams, particularly our old team, the Broncos, led by Vic Fangio, Von Miller, I think Kareem Jackson, about 25 guys. They led a, a great peaceful protest in Denver. Jacksonville did the same thing. Okay. My only concern is, you know, and now that Roger Goodell says he wants to be part of the change and he will participate in demonstrations. Once camps open, though, you're so structured almost every minute of every day that you're in the facility or you're on the practice field. How can NFL players still make a difference, make a public appearance once camps start? Will coaches be a little bit flexible? Will the league set a mandate? What would you like to see there? Yeah, I don't think it takes you having to like have a lot of time off to really make a change. It's partnering up with a number of organizations who are already on the ground, already doing things, and it might require you to maybe get on a you know do a phone call. It might be with you going down there to be uh, part of a fundraiser, coming down, giving a few extra hours to some of the youth in the community. But remember, I look at this as this is not this shouldn't feel like it's a a job or feel like that this is a burden. This should feel like something you should want to do. This should be like my off time. Oh, I got four hours. Oh, I'm going down to the, you know, to the the young black, you know, youth clinic or, or you know, center or something like that. I don't know. But it's it's about you just wanting to do it and put more time in it. And let me say this, too. I think it's important what I saw the last couple of days of seeing Drew Brees, and I know he made this statement, but came back and said he understands and seeing more of our white counterpart being involved in this. Because this, again, is not a black issue. It's not a black and white issue. It, this is a humanity issue. This is about people who are fighting for the right to be just treated equally. And if you're not seeing that, and if we don't have our white counterparts who are there by our side, conveying that message that, man, we all should be fighting for this, not just black people. This should be white people, Hispanics, Chinese. doesn't matter. We should all be fighting so we have a country that is treating everyone equally. And so to see Vic Fangio leading the march, see John Elway make his statement about coming off the sideline, see Drew Brees, I was really happy about. Not because we made him kind of rethink what he said before. I respect freedom of speech, and Drew was in his right to say what he had to say, but I think when he said it, I think what people were a little upset about was that we're in the middle of this thing. The whole world is protesting the inequality, and you sort of bring up the flag as something that irritated you when people were kneeling. And it just seemed like the timing of that was right, and the messaging, again, was lost. You know, we'll see when the season happens. I don't think this is going to fizzle like it did 
many times before when someone would say something and then they didn't have the support and all of a sudden it just goes away and we don't hear about it. I think this is going to be totally different. Yeah, and Terrell, you know, one of the things, that, and this is not a, a super original thought on my part, but, you know, when we go back to this question of why this is different and why it may last, it does feel like social media plays a big role in that. And I think part of why people, especially, and I'll say it, why white people, I think, are engaging in this many more, in many more ways is twofold. One, there's a generation of kids coming up who look at the world very differently. I think about my own teenagers who were very engaged on this. My son is getting ready to go to a protest here in the you know New York suburbs later today. <laughs> and you know what's interesting is that I do think because we could all see what happened to George Floyd, that made a huge difference. You know the fact that it was there. Yeah. And once you see it, you cannot look away and you can't unsee it. And it does feel like even to your point about, you know, what happened with Drew Brees, the immediacy of the reaction and the fact that we could all see your reaction, LeBron's reaction, his teammates, react, you know, Drew Brees' teammates' reactions. I mean, that gives it, I think, a sense of urgency and reality that maybe we haven't had before. I don't know what you mean. Yeah. No, I think you're absolutely right. I'm nailing ahead with that one. It is, and social media is so powerful. The fact that people are able to just mobilize and get a message across in an instant. I mean, it doesn't take long, and then you see the weight of it where you say, wow, we have all these people chiming in, people who normally wouldn't say anything or say something. And so that um, that leads to a lot of changes you know, very quickly. Yeah, I think the combination of that and, and then, yeah, just to see the video over and over and just not understanding why someone would do that. Right. And then I think for us, for us, it was almost like the kid that always kept saying, hey, mama, there's a ghost in my room. And the parents were like, no, ain't no ghost in your room, son. And yeah, it is. And then finally, when the parents, and then the parents see it, the kid is like, see, I told you. And it's like we felt like we kept saying things like, yes, it's happening. It does happen to us. It does. Without, yeah, unarmed, we're complying with the officer and still we're being abused. And I feel like white America, or not white America, people who just did never believed it, finally got a chance to say, wow, it opened their, their eyes up like, yeah, maybe you're right. Like, yeah, I guess it does happen, you know? I'm like, yeah, it does. Like, you know, and again, I told people, this is not for me. It's not a campaign against law enforcement. It's a campaign against bad law enforcement, yeah. against precincts and a culture that's been there for hundreds of years that exists in our community. Where police come in there a lot of times, they're not there to be a, a friend. They're there to be a menacing, sort of intimidating factor, leading by authority, leading with the heavy hand. And I've seen it as a kid. I grew up in a neighborhood where we would, it felt like every, not every day, but every time I would have an encounter with, with law enforcement, it wasn't a good one. And the problem was, even before that, the people, the older guys in my community, I'd already know, known about their stories. And you hear the stories, you see it happening. So the culture that we're being raised in our own community, is that cops are bad, and that's not good. That has got to change. You know, we've got to tell our kids that, no, law enforcement is, is there to protect us and to make sure that we keep law and order because we need that in our society. And they're humans like we are. And so we've got to, you know, bridge that gap with our youth and law enforcement. So that's going to be super important, man. Yeah. But, yeah, I just think the way I grew up now, I, I can see how people – might may think that uh, stuff like that doesn't doesn't happen because I haven't seen it you know where I live and 
15, 20 years. I don't see anything like that where I live. How did you control your anger when that happened, when you were sitting on the electrical block and you just saw this? I mean, the normal human reaction is to be angry and, and retaliate verbally or some other manner. How did you control your anger? For me, it's different people, but I'd already heard I already knew that when approached by them, you just, you don't say anything. I've had, I mean, I've had a number of incidents where they, I had one where they put the dog on me. They pulled my buddy and I over in high school and put us on the trunk of the car. And the big old German Shepherd was, I mean, within an inch of my face. And I can smell the heat of his breath. And they didn't tell us why. They just got out the, put up, pulled us out the car, did that, searched us, and just basically left. You know, I would ride my bike from inner city San Diego all the way to the north side of uh, San Diego. We would do it with our friends quite often. And I remember every time we would ride, and it's a long ride too, it's not like a, a mile or two, it's pretty far. And we would probably more times not get stopped by law enforcement. Most times it was friends. they pull you over and they'll ask you a question, you know, where are you guys from? And we're like, yeah, we're from San Diego, like inner city San Diego. And then they'll, you know, stop you for a few minutes and they'll let you go. A few times, I remember one of them asking a few times, kind of a, in a friendly way, I know, kind of maybe in a funny way, but it wasn't funny. Us was like, "Hey, you guys didn't steal any bikes, did you?" And we're like, wow. "No, we didn't steal any bikes, man." You know, you see what I'm saying? Like, so we would always, it would, it would almost be like, "Okay, I know we're going to get stopped because we're way away from where we live. We don't live nowhere in this place." No, but for me, I just knew that. To me, uh, and my my dad had always taught us that. You cannot win that fight with law enforcement on the street. Don't give them an attitude. Just do what they ask you to do. If you have any complaints, then you you complain later. But right on the street is not the place to do it. So, Terrell, I wonder, you know, now, given what you're doing, you know, post-football, as an entrepreneur, as a businessman, co-founder of a company called Defy, I wonder what you think about it from an economic and business perspective, because one of the things that's become very clear and, you know, we are Bloomberg after all. So we're looking at this from a very, very data driven and a very economic and business driven perspective. And and what we see is that there are structural economic problems and even structural problems when it comes to the world of business. I wonder, as you are growing a company, how you think about what you can do for your customers and for your employees, because that seems to be a key part of this that we're all kind of opening our eyes to as well. The first thing is to kind of take a look at like sort of who you're hiring, like why you're hiring that person. And sometimes it's, it's not even a, you know, where you you don't mean to be where you're denying somebody access, you know, because a lot of people are just comfortable with people they know. You know, they have friends that they grow up with. They choose a certain thing, and not for any reason to be mean to anybody. But I think just kind of looking at our situation, looking at your company, reevaluating the structure of your company. Do you have minorities in there? Do you have women that's working at your company? Um, or is it all just white males? And that's the first thing you, you look at. But yeah, you know, I think for us, we're really diverse, and you know, we want to make sure that that's the case. And if I have an obligation, you know, I do I have an obligation to make sure that when I'm traveling up that ladder, I'm bringing somebody of color with me, that I'm giving somebody an opportunity, that we're trying to, you know, expand and and all those opportunities to them, which and what they may not have been able to get those opportunities. And so, 
I think that we all can do that. We can look around and say, all right, let's let's see where we can open some avenues up to allow minorities in where in the past that may not have been the case. Terrell, I know that this is a little bit of levity, but it's for on a very the same serious situation. I know years ago you were on Sesame Street. And uh, <laughs> Sesame Street, <laughs> ironically, uh, all your old pals, Big Bird and Bert and Ernie and uh, Elmo, are going to team up with CNN and have a special town hall aimed at kids and families coming together, standing up to racism. Is it important that we just target the kids, the, the young kids right away, and we just don't aim towards the, the people that are protesting or looting or the, or, or the police officers? How important is this to go after the young kids and their families? Yeah, I think that's all. I think it's great. I do. You know, I think everybody on every level needs to uh, have some level of education and some social awareness, uh, you know, about different races and, and learn about backgrounds and, and different history. Uh, but, yeah, it starts there. That's where it's bred to me. Like, you know, most of these kids who have their views, a lot of it is taught, you know, at home. Mm-hmm. It's overhearing the parent. It's watching their parents' friends or family members come over and make statements and have these comments. And so a lot of times it's just bread at home. And so it's important to let kids know that there's a bigger world and that, you know, people look different and that's okay. You know, it doesn't mean one race is better than the other race. It's, it's God made everybody unique. And that's a beautiful thing. That's what I tell my children. So we read books. Our books that you know, our kids read, they're very, they're, they're multicultural books, mm-hmm. you know. And so we, we explain to them that this world, everybody looks different. Because kids ask questions. They come home, they ask a question about, you know, their white friends. Or why, why, why does my friend, you know, have white skin? And I'm like, well, because God made everybody different. But your friend is just as equal. And we still love your friend. And your friend loved you guys. And so we, we, we explain to them those things. And because they see it and people a lot of times say they don't see color. I'm like, well, we all see color. Yeah, I mean, you, you see it. It's just how you react to it. Are you treating someone differently because of the way they look? And you got to sometimes make sure you have a conscious mind that you don't. But, yeah, our, our kids, their school is very diverse, their class is. And we, we, for us, it was very important our kids to go to a school that has diversity the way their school is. And so, yeah, I think at home is, is definitely the place to start, and it definitely needs to be a conversation. Sesame Street, big ups to you. I appreciate what they're doing, and I think more programs need to bring it up and stop. You know, if you don't talk about it, doesn't mean it, you know, it doesn't exist, and I think that's been part of the issue. We don't speak about it. We don't talk about it, so, you know, it's not there. But I think I was, we, we're going to see more programs doing that, which is a good thing. You know, Switching it gears a little bit, Terrell, to some of your philanthropic work, and then we want to talk a little bit about the, your company and what's going on. But it seems a, a natural evolution to talk about some of the things you've done from a charitable perspective because, you know, another, I feel like, issue that, that maybe goes unspoken about or, or maybe ignored a little bit is, is that of veterans. And I know you've done a lot of work there. Tell us about that and tell us why you got interested. Yeah, so uh, I've, I've done quite a few things. I'm, uh, you know, Boys and Girls Club, Food Bank of the Rockies, two organizations that I support. But we're, we've teamed up with the team, of the Red, White, and Blue, yeah. uh, who's a veterans organization that tries to, uh, you know, enhance the lives of, of its veterans. And to me, it's pretty simple. It was it was it wasn't complicated because of my respect for our men and women who have served in this country. My mom, I salute 
came about because I wanted to embody the uh, the mentality of a soldier. Mm. And so I, I, I just thought a soldier and, you know, what they have to go through, you know, they put the work in, they risk and sacrifice their lives for our country. And, you know, they don't make a lot of money. This is this. They don't, not about money. It's about what they've been doing. So my admiration for our military has been there for a long time. And so, yeah, so we are excited to partner up with them, with my company, Defy, um, to be able to help veterans and send that message that our veterans need need our help still. You know, a lot of times we forget about our veterans until it's Memorial Day or Veterans Day, and we should be thinking about our veterans every single day based off the things that they have done for us because they, they fight for our country every single day. They don't, they don't get days off, and they just don't do that. So we're pretty excited about this this partnership that uh, we just launched with them. And we on our site, we're Crid uh, Defy Nation, which is our community of, it's really a community of defiers of people who are encouraged to, to visit our site um, and who can tell stories of defying the day and inspiring people. We have a workout video that's free that we're going to do a workout series for um Right now, we're doing one for veterans and people who have limited mobility, mm-hmm. and, but we're going to expand that and make it more for uh, not only veterans, but people who want to want to do more high-tempo stuff. So I'm pretty excited about that part. Uh, we um, also are going to start doing a challenge on there where we challenge people to give uh, 90 days, um, you know, sort of tell us what you, what you want to defy, uh, which is going to be really cool. And then we're going to have some of our social stuff where we're going to get engaged with, um, you know, I don't know what, what organization we're going to team up with, but really get in to help the cause with, uh, again, advancing uh, the message and, um, and and inequality in this country. Yeah. So we, and, you know, we'll have probably some recipes and do some stuff. We have some fun stuff on there as well, but we're pretty excited about that. And we just launched our Defy Zero, which is our performance drink that has um, CBD, no THC, in our drink. It's the best tasting drink in the world, by the way. It's the best tasting. <laughs> wow. Best that's tasting. a bold statement. That's that's strong. Oh, no. Strong marketing. Yeah. Well, oh, man. Well, our orange won, a, won an award. So it's our, our orange mango. Is, yes, it is. The best tasting CBD in the world. And it's only gotten better by we uh, now have no added sugar in our zero that came out. So we have our, our regular, and then we have our, our zero that uh, that's out. So yeah, and, and and for me, CBD has changed my life. Yeah. And, you know, well, tell I, us about I, that because, it. I mean, listen, I think anybody who followed your career, you know, knows some of the, the kind of scary moments that you had, especially related to, to migraines and, and other things and other injuries. Tell us how you got to CBD. Yeah, this was a few years ago. Uh, you know, we were, we were looking into it, uh, at least my partners were. And I was beat up, you know, I left football and was beat up. And I didn't know over like 20 years, man, I was so, I was so beat up that I put on over like 20 something pounds mm. and people would see me like, man, you look pretty good. You look like, look like you still play. And I was like, thanks. And I felt like I'm still playing, but, uh, that was not me. And the problem was when I would work out, I, I'd have setbacks, you know, my knees would swell up. I had constant pain. So, you know, I'm not comfortable working out like that. And so a few years back, we discovered CBD, and I started taking it. And I was like, wow, this stuff is it's amazing. You know, over about a three-, four-week period, inflammation in my knee um, started to go away. I didn't have the, the chronic pain uh, in my body. So it allowed me to feel better, which meant 
I can work out more. And the more I worked out, I was able to bounce back fa- faster. And so that really led us to an, an idea that if we could improve the product, find, um, you know, do our own research, do our own science, build a, a brand that um, that's mainstream, make sure our CBD is the best in, in the marketplace, that it is the gold standard. And, you know, be able to share that with people who are going through the same thing I'm going through, especially ex-athletes. Yeah. Um, and that was our goal. And uh, that was over two, three years ago. We had our first year anniversary. It was May 21st. Uh, so we celebrated one year, and we created Defy. And we came out with a performance brand drink that has um, coconut oil, uh, excuse me, coconut water, electrolytes, B vitamins, you know, full-spectrum CBD, uh, again, the most important thing that we wanted to make sure was that it had no THC. And that is the psychoactive part of the plant that if you take, you can get that little, little buzz. So we wanted to remove all of that away from the product so that everybody can drink it, and especially athletes, you know, weekend warriors, yoga, yoga moms, anybody who just <laughs> wants to feel better, increase their daily activity, and, uh, and really defy the day. And so that's what we sought out, sought out to do. And I'm pretty proud of where we are, man. So uh, it, it's been fun. And, uh, again, our Defy Zero is out. And that's even that tastes even better. Man, I, I was really impressed with uh, the formulation, how we came up with the Defy Zero. Because people were, you know, we obviously we want to use this for working out and, and stuff. And one feedback we got was, you know, can you guys you know, take some of the sugar out? Yeah. Yeah, we, we worked on that and, <laughs> and uh, made, made that happen. So, Terrell, you're talking to a guy who played golf on Friday and Saturday, and I'm limping around on Monday right here with knees and hips and everything. And, and I, I've applied, I, I have some CBD cream, but do you find that the oral uh, ingestion of this uh, works more effectively than, than the cream does? Well, the cream works if you have a localized, if you have something specific, like, you know, obviously you have a, a hamstring or, you know, a thigh contusion or something like that. That's what I, I put it on. But I have a routine that I take probably about 60 milligrams a day. Um, you know, so I'll, I'll, have, I'll do the tincture, you know, little drops, and then I'll, I'll drink the, the five drink. And each bottle has 20 milligrams in each bottle. And so I'll, that's around roughly 50 to 60 milligrams a day for me. And I always tell most people, like, start at something, you know, 40 and then sort of work your way up because, as you know, um, or you may not know, different people's body uh, react differently to it. Mm. And some people might need a higher dosage. Some people don't need a higher dosage. And it's really just you just kind of putting, you know, taking it and maybe incrementally improving it over the, over time as you feel, you, you know, what's right for you. Um, and that's what we always recommend. Yeah, but uh, I, I use them all. I use our muscle bomb mouth crack on my shoulder, the back part of my shoulder, for some reason, for many years, when I try to lift, when I bench press, on the back of my, kind of my traps, uh, it, that always gets sore. So I, I use the muscle bomb on that. And I also use it on my, my knees as well. I'll put everything on my knees. My, my knees, I have no cartilage on my knees, so I, I need everything I can, I can use on my knees. Yeah. So, Terrell, I mean, I got to ask you because this leads us, you know, very directly into something I know you care a lot about and we're all thinking about right now, which is if and when the NFL does come back, and we, we hope it's a when, obviously, and whatever that looks like, player safety is going to be at, at the core of that discussion 
you know, obviously related to the coronavirus, but I think generally there is much more awareness about, as you experienced very directly, just the physical beating that it takes to be a professional football player. As you think about the NFL coming back, what's top of mind for you as it relates to player safety? Oh, right now, yeah. Well, I guess you just, you know, the 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 coronavirus, you yeah. know, COVID nineteen. Like, how do you? Yeah, because that's the trick. How do you get a group of people back together in a locker room on the field, physically, you know, tackling each other in close proximity to each other? You're traveling together. I think everybody's trying to figure out what that looks like because you can only stay apart so long before you have to get together and, uh, and, and play. So um, that's number one. I think number two for me would be these guys are not out. They're not actually working out, um, at least not with the team. And that's yeah. hard. When you're, when you're not playing, playing, I don't care how much training you're doing at home with another trainer. That's not really football. That's, that's the hard part. That's when people come into camps and you see a lot of, you know, soft tissue tears, hamstrings. You'll see, you know, quad tears because football is a little, just a little bit more um, difficult when it comes to uh, putting your, putting your body through the stresses of the, the sudden movement, the explosion, running through tackles, um, all that stuff. And you can only simulate that for so long. And I'll be curious to see how fast players get up to speed. Um, Number one, how fast they're going to allow these players to actually practice together and then start to have contact and then put pads on and have, have the games go on. So those two things to me probably one, COVID-19, and then number two, really just uh, getting players and, and coaches in to actually simulate some real uh, football-looking uh, drills and exercises. Would you be insistent upon uh, regular testing for you and all your teammates uh, if, if you were to come back? Let's just say you were a current player right now. I would, and the reason I would is because um, it's not about us, right? It's about our family, you know, because when you're going home every day, you have kids there, your wife, uh, you may have, um, you might be your, you know, parents might be at home. So what, what I think we all understand is that it's, it's we have to treat it as if we can, you know, infect other people, and it's, and it's super serious. So, yeah, I think we and then you have some people who are asymptomatic, may not show any signs of it, and they might have it. Now you have the whole locker room, whole team who has COVID-19. So go through the, the, the procedures. You're not testing every day. Check them. You're checking uh, everybody's temperature to make sure that at least, I think that's the first thing they do is check your temperature. And then um, they might even test you every day, which would be even better. Yeah. And then, yeah, to monitor that. Just stay on top of it the best you can. So, Terrell, as we wrap up, I, I guess I would love to ask you, you know, here we are, as I said, you know, June 8th, 2020, I think this has been a year that nobody really anticipated in, in so many ways. You know, given where you are, given what your goals are in your post-playing world, how does your attitude, how do your goals and hopes and dreams change? How have they changed? And, and what does it look like going forward for you in the, in the short and midterm? You know, it, that, that's that's a great question. Um, I remember, you know, leaving football and thinking, man, you know, kind of life, not life is over, but my work was done. You know, I kind of, you know, left my mark in, in professional football and felt good about that. 
But the more, the longer I'm out of football, I realize that I have a lot of work to do. And one of my goals I've set for myself is to to be known more for something outside of football than the career that I, I left. And that, to me, that's the mindset that, that is driving me. I think it's part of why I'm, I'm speaking out about Black Lives Matter, um, is that I think it's a bigger, a bigger calling for me in life. And I want to be able to leave this planet and say, you know what, it wasn't just football. Football was a platform. But I'm proud of this. I'm proud of that I've, I've, I've affected people. I've changed lives. I was able to be able to be uh, involved in something that's, that's bigger than sports. And that's that's my everyday sort of goal. That's that's my that's my mission every day. Is all right. One day I'm gonna be known for something more or bigger than than just playing football, and um, that's what keeps me going. Well, uh, it's a noble cause for sure. It's spectacular. This has been a great conversation, uh, an enlightening conversation, and I hope that a lot of people take uh, take a lot from it, Terrell. Um, uh, I admire you from afar as a uh, football player, and uh, I admire what you're you're doing now for the community, and um, and being an entrepreneur as well. Congratulations. Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks, thanks uh, very much, and you guys be easy and uh, go Broncos, man. <laughs> All right. Thanks to Terrell Davis, NFL Hall of Famer, of course, co-founder of Defy, community leader, and uh, outspoken in many ways. We really enjoyed that. Well, you've been listening to Bloomberg Business of Sports. We're here with you every week at the same time, plus online, wherever you get your podcasts. Catch those Mondays, Wednesdays, and Thursdays. I'm Jason Kelly on Twitter at Jason Kelly News. And I'm Mike Lynch. You can catch me at LynchyWCVB. And catch Terrell Davis, of course, at Terrell underscore Davis. This is Bloomberg Business of Sports.